And if you would please be opening up to Acts chapter 8. We're continuing in our series of Acts called Witness and looking at how Jesus gathered his disciples before he ascended to heaven. And he said, you will be my witnesses. And witness is about experiencing something and then proclaiming what we've experienced. We have experienced the resurrection power of Jesus himself through the presence of the Spirit, and now we proclaim that with uh, our lives and how we live, with our lives and how we speak, bringing, uh, bringing attention to Jesus. This passage is about bringing, bringing attention to Jesus as well. Uh, familiar passage, perhaps, but we're going to look at it in terms of uh, just what the Lord is speaking to us, <clears throat> what he's doing and unfolding the mission of the church in the the book of Acts. We'll look at uh, verses 9 through 25 this morning. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Lord, help us understand how your gospel proclamation goes forward, um, but help us understand that you include everybody in this gospel proclamation. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, In our world, there is always a battle for greatness. There's a battle for who's going to be on top. There's a battle for what the world says is great and we should invest our time, money, resources, energy in. And there is always what God says is great and what we should invest our time, money, energy, resources in. Remember that when Jesus was interacting with the the rich young ruler, we put those together because in Mark, he is the rich young man, and in Luke, he's the rich ruler. So you put all those uh, titles together. He's the rich young ruler, came to Jesus. I see that you are good. 
he tells Jesus. And Jesus, who is good, turns around and says, no one is good except God alone. See, the, the rich ruler had, he thought he was something good because of how he felt he had observed the law and treated everybody with equity. And he, he felt he was doing what God wanted him to do and God was giving him a thumbs up, just a thumbs up of approval. Great job. Until he sees Jesus and he wonders, well, Jesus is doing a little something different. So he wants the thumbs up from Jesus as well. But Jesus in that moment says, your idea of good is not God's idea of good. And in this passage, we find out that Simon's idea of great, the people's idea of great, is not necessarily God's idea of great. Only Jesus is great. And his greatness is affirmed in the lives of those he saves. So this morning, we're looking at the Samaritans coming to faith and receiving the Holy Spirit is about Jesus affirming their witness as well. We looked last week, remember, that Philip goes to Samaria, begins to preach the gospel to them, and this, these were people that the, the Jews didn't interact with. The, the full-bred Hebrews didn't want to interact with the half-breed Samaritans, those who the Assyrians came in and intermarried, and they... Samarians had their own temple. They had their own desire of what, what looking for the Messiah would be, and they just didn't get along. But yet Philip goes there following Jesus' example that we have in John 4 of the woman at the well because Jesus goes after everybody. And God was on the move there, and so now Jesus is affirming his salvation in the lives of the people that the Jews didn't really care about. And this is the beauty of how God does what he does in bringing the church together. People who wouldn't necessarily choose to hang out with one another because we just don't have everything in common, but we have the most important thing in common, and that's Jesus. And so we are able to be a community of believers because and interact with deep love for one another and deep service toward one another and, and deep mission with one another. Why? Because we have Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. So only Jesus is great, and his greatness is affirmed in the lives of those he saves in joining them to the community of faith. So Jesus is affirming his witness. One, affirming, that's really me in those people, as well as affirming the witness of the church. Jesus is giving his approval to what's going on. He does it in a unique way to let the, the Jews in Jerusalem, now the persecution has spread everybody out, but he wants the Jews to know, hey, more people are going to be added. Expand the tent legs because more people are going to come. And I think we see uh, in this passage, there are just three things that we, we observe. One is that there's an exalting, and this is, as we see, we're going to see this over and over again in Acts, but we, we live this. When we exalt Jesus, there's the receiving of the Spirit and received by genuine faith. So let's look at exalting Jesus Simon is now the backdrop by which Jesus will be exalted because Simon's the one that thinks he's something great. He's convinced everybody else around him that he's something great and he's taking attention away from Jesus. Can you just... This is a bold man. <laughs> Saying that he himself was somebody great. I mean, usually we have some type of decorum. When we, and, and we don't like people that think there's something great. And so, but this man, 
was convincing everybody he was really, really great, and he brought attention to himself by backing it up with magic. Now, this is an interesting uh, uh, term here. This is could be sleight of hand stuff, like he's doing a card trick and while he's pulling a coin behind the ear. I mean, it could be that type of stuff. It's most probably magi, which, yes, remember the, the ones that came to visit Jesus after he was born and brought gifts? The magi go all the way back to the Persians. And when Daniel was in the court of the Persians, he interacted with this kind of priestly, kind of, a uh, smart, intelligent class. But the Magi were basically astrologers. Now what Daniel did when he was in exile is he taught them, yeah, the skies are saying something, but the skies are saying something about Jesus coming. And when the Magi see the star in the east and it was new, it's really cool if you research this, the star of, of Bethlehem and stuff, the Regulus comes with, Jupiter happened a couple years ago. The same thing that happened where it looked like a new star around December um, was the first time that's happened probably since Jesus was born. So if you missed it, sorry, you have to wait a couple thousand more years. I went outside and looked. I said, that's pretty cool that that is happening right now. But so what, what Simon Magus, Magi, is doing is he's probably reading the stars, and that comes into, and we know astrology, that comes into, okay, when this lines up with this, then there'll be peace on earth, and you'll have a bride or a husband. There's just, it's guesswork, but he was right enough to be able to convince people that he was something great, to the point that they call him what? This is the power of God called great. Now, the Samaritans, they were really looking for They were looking for a Messiah. And many men seek the title of greatness. Now it's goat. Greatest of all time. Everybody's always trying to label somebody the goat. The greatest of all time. But only one deserves the title of great. Because there's no other name. No other name given among men, whereby which we can be saved, but the name of Jesus. Now, here, these crowds looking at Simon, you're awesome. They pay attention to him because for a long time he amazed them them with magic. But verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, this might be just a fickle people. Like, you're just looking for somebody. You think everybody is great. But no, there's something in the power of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus that drew them together. God was saving them. So here the crowds believe Philip's message about Jesus. Then Simon seizes an opportunity. Rather than go against Philip, hey, 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 this guy, and set up this counter uh, 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 proclamation about greatness, he actually teamed up with Philip. He wants to join him and follow him, but we find out later it's for, it's for the wrong reason. I think of uh, Dr. Terminus in Pete's Dragon, the old cartoon, the guy who comes into uh, Passamaquoddy, and, he's, and he, all of a sudden he's got all these elixirs and stuff, and he finds out there's a dragon. Y'all are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Have you not seen Pete's Dragon? 
Your assignment today is to go on Disney Plus and, and watch Peach Dragon and pay attention to Dr. Terminus. I, I, some people are with me. You're tracking. I'm, I'm glad. Others, your parents didn't like you. I mean, something's wrong. You have to watch them <laughs> teasing. <laughs> He's a funny character because he just is looking for the next opportunity to make some money. And he is the Simon of Passamaquoddy, Passamamassi. Attention grabbing is always going to be a dangerous approach to the Christian life. And, and yet, what we do as believers and we want to learn from Simon's experience, what we do as believers is that we look for the praise of men. We look for the praise and the affirmation from people rather than the affirmation that we get from Jesus himself. And when we do that, we, we, we seek attention for ourselves, and it just makes life, makes the Christian life miserable. Because we don't, we're not contending necessarily with ourselves or other people. We end up contending with God himself. We don't want to find ourselves opposed to God because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yet, even amidst attention grabbers, God, in his mercy, still uses the gospel proclamation even when it's done from the wrong heart motive. We're reminded by Paul's letter to the Philippians when he said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Can you imagine somebody preaching the gospel from envy and rivalry? The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There are people trying to preach the gospel in a way that makes Paul look bad. I think that's roots of prosperity gospel, honestly. See, if if Paul really was an apostle, he wouldn't find himself in jail. He would find himself more successful. Because he needs to have a faith that's above what would get you there. And that's dangerous because it's, it's even looking for God to give us what is not necessarily his will. But then he says this, Paul says, what then? Only that in every way. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice in. Paul's able to rejoice that, yeah, they're doing it out of selfish ambition to try to get a leg up on me, maybe get more numbers than me. You know what? They're preaching the gospel. Now, with the Galatians, it was a different gospel. He didn't like that. He said, no, 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 you're accursed if you preach a different gospel. But he says the Philippians, yeah, they were preaching just to try to be better, but you know, God uses that. And, and isn't, it, isn't it wonderful how God uses all sorts of stuff to save people? All sorts of stuff. I know a man that was saved in the mid-90s at an Amway convention in Orlando. He had some good roots of Christian desire there, and he came to Christ at an Amway com- conference. When you're just trying to figure out how to, how to build your, I don't know what they call them, the little portfolio business things. God uses all sorts of stuff. And I love that because it, it helps us understand that we don't have to have the right phrases and the right approach and the right 
everything about sharing the gospel. We just have to be obedient. Share the gospel. And sometimes the honesty of, look, I'm just trying to put this on as I'm describing it to you, but this is what I know of, the, of, of Jesus' resurrection power that's in me. It just helps me live in a different way. And I, I've discovered and benefited from a joy, the blessing of a joy that's indescribable. Join me in that. Join me in that. So that's exalting Jesus. Simon gets to be the antithesis of that. But now we look at the receiving of the Spirit. In verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now this is interesting because we we don't see this occasion happening in other parts of Acts. The apostles weren't sent as, as evangelism investigators. They weren't sent saying, all right, let me, let me just make sure this was genuine. Let me make sure this is right. So that, that actually should pique our interest to say, all right, what is God doing in this passage that Luke records for the church to understand what he's doing in his gospel uh, going from all Judea into Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Because this is that next step. Uh, many in the church uh, have looked at this passage as maybe a pattern that should be repeated that the, the receiving of the Spirit is a work of grace after salvation at some point that would come from people laying on hands uh, and, and traditional Pentecostal charismatic um, faith perspectives would carry that, that this is, this is a pattern that should be repeated. But we have to ask the question, is this, is this showing us that the receiving of the Spirit is a second work of grace? Do we get all the Spirit when we trust Christ? Do we get some of it? Do we get most, do we get the Spirit in one form, but we need to have a later Uh, laying on of hands that helps us receive the power for service and ministry and gifting. As I look at whether this is a a pattern to follow or maybe this is an isolated incident, um, I I lean toward the, this is an isolated incident because I look at Ephesians 1.13 and Paul saying, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. There there is a sealing that I believe when we trust Christ for salvation, we have the Spirit in his fullness. Now, I'll say this. I think we learn to experience his fullness in increasing and ever-increasing and deepening ways in our Christian life. So when Paul later on tells the Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, it's a continual filling. I think we learn uh, to, to plumb the depths of his presence in us, but I think we have all of the presence. So I don't think when Peter and John are coming to the Samaritan church, the Samaritan believers here, they're not saying, all right, you don't have the Spirit, because this is confusing. Because the Spirit had not yet fallen on them. So did they, did Philip preach the right gospel? Were they really believers? I mean, we don't have that Philip 
later, next section, next week, we're going to look, he's going to share the faith with the Ethiopian eunuch, and that Ethiopian eunuch is going to receive Christ and repent of his sins. So is, 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 it, is the matter of Philip's gospel? Is it a matter of maybe a faith in the Samaritans? I think what God was doing in this moment was giving the Samaritans their own Pentecost experience. Because I think we'll see this again in chapter 10 when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Because I think there's a Gentile Pentecost in that moment too. But I think it's more for the apostles to understand God really is joining everybody to his church. Particularly Peter. Remember when Peter, uh, we, we learn in Galatians, when Paul writes a letter to, there, uh, to the Galatian church, he says he had to oppose Peter and Barnabas for slipping back into a, a, a Jewish mindset where they said we can't hang out with Gentiles, we can't hang out with non-Jews because they're unclean and they'll tear us down. So even Peter at that moment, he's, that, that's after Cornelius' house too when he's getting ready. So Peter has experienced the Samaritan Pentecost. He'll experience the Gentile Pentecost at Cornelius' house. But yet he still went back and was captured more by, ah, I have to be separated from you. And Paul says he opposed Peter to his face. That's a big deal. Now, we don't, perhaps get those, the depth of the, the significance of these situations because um, we, don't, we don't understand the ethnic divide back then. Uh, remember, in the temple, there was about a, a three-foot wall that outlined, this is Solomon's temple that, was, that Herod rebuilt. And there was an, this wall was the perimeter. The Gentiles... It was called the Gentile wall. They couldn't come inside of that wall. They were held outside. And God God did that. He's the one that set that up. But he set that up in a way to say, the promise to my people is what I need to draw attention to, that the Messiah will come from the Hebrew nation. So God sets up... uh, visuals for our eyes so we could so they would they would recognize that only only a jewish hebrew would be the messiah particularly from the line of judah they have all those promises for the that was uh, spoken over that jacob spoke over judah his son but also to david so they're they're thinking all right this god set this up so this is good well, what God did when he tore that, the curtain in two, separating the holy holies from the holy place, the significance of that is the vision, is the spirit of God went out from there. Where that was the place that it was known to dwell, it went out from there to dwell in people. But God had to do some significant exercises and lessons with his people so they'd understand it. He needed to remind them. He needed something that they could go back and remind themselves of, Remember? This is what God did. So we've got to trust it. We've got to believe it. So I do think that this is, this is a, an isolated incident because God wants, he wants the church to know this is the, for the purpose of unity. And the significance of laying on of hands, 
That doesn't happen anywhere else in the book of Acts where there's laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. And so it tells us there's a uniqueness about what Luke wants to communicate by including this passage. I think John Stott helps us uh, see what's happening here. He says the delay in, in receiving the, the Spirit and salvation, the delay was only temporary until the apostles had come down to investigate had endorsed Philip's bold policy of Samaritan evangelism, had prayed for the converts, had laid hands on them as a token of fellowship. Let me slow down. Laid their hands on them as a token of fellowship and solidarity. This is the same. Jews don't don't do anything with Samaritans. But we have Jews touching Samaritans. That's for fellowship, solidarity. And thus given a public sign to the whole church as well as to the Samaritan converts themselves that they were bona fide Christians. They were not second-class Christians. They were not half-breed Christians. They were full converts. They were Christ followers. And to be incorporated into the redeemed community on precisely the same terms as Jewish converts. Now, if you think about the ethnic divide there, it would make sense that God would, he would bring such specificity and so many things to provide understanding so they would look at each other as brothers and sisters and there would be no dividing lines and walls anymore. And we see there's an apostolic affirmation here. Peter and John were witnesses of Pentecost. And now they could affirm the same experience on the Samaritans. God was moving the Spirit along into the disciples. And the glory of the Spirit's falling. The Spirit falling on the the, the disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And now here the Spirit falls on these believers. Most probably with the same demonstration as the day of Pentecost, with speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and prophesying. Probably the same thing, which is why Simon, it piqued his interest so much, like, all right, that's powerful. That's why he wanted some of that. But what God is doing is saying this. And the promise is all the way in the Old Testament that he would go out, that his His house would be a house of prayer for the nations. And now his people are going to be that that demonstration of the experience of his presence on this earth to the nations. Jesus giving that in the commission that we read and conclude our time together every Sunday. So there's the exalting of Jesus, which brings the receiving of the Spirit, but there is always the necessity of a genuine faith. Simon's heart was revealed when he saw the Spirit fall on the believers. He had an artificial faith. It looked like grass, but it was turf. He didn't have what was required for that. And the kingdom is not gained through money or personal power. See, it can be We go after two things uh, to gain acceptance and approval before God. We will go after uh, our our performance or just a power over him. I I can buy it. And 
when you have resources, and I think of when Jesus told the disciples that it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they say, well, who can be saved? Because even the disciples themselves saw that if somebody was blessed with riches, that meant God's favor was on them. And Jesus was, he was adjusting their thoughts of, uh, of richness. Richness wasn't a sign of God's favor because, you know, in, in a world today, the world will be more impressed. And this happens. The world is more impressed by what rich people give away than what they keep. You know, all the stories about uh, going way back to John D. Rockefeller and William Carnegie, or Carnegie, just out of how... They got, when they're old age, they had so much money, they actually got into a competition, a philanthropic competition to see how many libraries and schools they could open. That was still the wrong motivation. But you have people today, like, I've got so much money, what am I going to do with it? And, And they're billionaires, and, well, we'll try to do this, and we'll try to do that. But I... Deep down, if I could have a conversation, a loving, careful conversation, I would ask, are you trying to do that because you think God will accept you? Because I think that's probably a lot of the motivation. Just because we have money doesn't mean that God's favor is upon us. It means we still have to live by faith. The kingdom is not gained with money or personal power. So we need to be aware of sordid gain. The Apostle Peter talks about that in his first book, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5. And he actually is addressing, um, he's addressing pastors, shepherds. Don't do this for sordid gain. Don't do this for the money. He's telling pastors that. But it also means this. Don't live in such a way for God that you're more aware of what you think he owes you than the sacrifice he calls you to live in obedience. Because that's a trap for us. We live for God long enough, we think, all right, God, you owe me something. That's a transaction thing. I've done this for you, I expect something in return. But that's not the type of currency that God uses. That's, That's like trying to pay... Uh, for your groceries with Monopoly money. This says $100. This is $100 right here. This should pay for that. The cashier looking at it going, it's never going to work. Because every time we bring uh, what we think, a transaction of what we think we owe or using our performance to get something from God, it's the wrong currency because God operates with the currency of faith. And it, it just doesn't make sense to us because faith is, yes, I trust you completely. And we feel, that's it. That's all I have to do. But the return is the peace and the promise and the blessing of God is amazing. And God is, he is he's glad to lavish that upon all of us. Simon's heart condition. You know, Peter, this is a stern warning. May your silver perish with you. He's... Hey, here's the line, demarcation. You're way over there. You don't have what you think you have. You don't have what these people have. It says repent. But his condition, his heart condition is a warning for all of us. Because he says this, verse 23. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity. 
I think these are two helpful things to pay attention to in our lives because these two things will destroy genuine faith in us and render us uh, ineffective for the kingdom. Bitterness. Bitterness hampers and, and drives faith into the ground, doesn't it? When we are bitter at people, when we're bitter toward God for our experiences, we need to be on guard that we do not hold on to bitterness. I said this before, but it bears saying again. You know, bitterness is like taking a poison pill, hoping somebody else dies. Because you know what? The person that you're bitter against, they're living life just fine, aren't they? And that makes you more bitter. So what does God say? Trust me. Trust me. And I appreciate uh, Tabitha's encouragement this morning that as we sang, I exalt thee. That really happens. When we exalt Christ, when he is preeminent, things do come into line. They get ordered the way God wants them. And when they're ordered the way God wants them, there's blessing for us and there's peace and joy for us to experience. But also the bond of iniquity, sin. Sin will cause us to not operate in faith and will will convince us that our artificial faith is really a genuine faith that God somehow should respond to. So church, we need to be on guard for bitterness and iniquity, sin. Because look, if we, have, we are, if we are genuine believers and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, Jesus has affirmed our witness. He says to us, with me, with me, with me. So may we be encouraged to continue to live with this affirmation, looking to Jesus for the affirmation uh, that, that, that is the ultimate affirmation that we long for. To remind us of his love, to remind us of his presence with us. So we will go out in boldness and live the word and preach the word. Because the message goes forward. The message is going forward and we want that to be based on our obedience to go along with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to, to delve into your word, to consider your word. ask God that you would draw us to yourself and Jesus as you are affirmed as your greatness is affirmed in our lives I pray that we would enjoy being the redeemed the community of your redeemed where where we feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and I do ask God that we would long even though we see in this moment in Samaria that this was a, a unique experience. God, we, we have enough to know that we want to keep on experiencing the depth, the unfolding experience of love and power and passion that the Holy Spirit provides us. So Lord, we want to come to you and be filled with the Spirit. We want to enjoy the Spirit's embrace and comfort to highlight and exalt Jesus. So life is meaningful and purpose is, is uh, fulfilled, and joy is our experience. God, we love you. Fill us with your spirit. Thank you. Amen. All right, Kerr.
What a good word. Um, before we do our benediction, I have a couple of announcements just about what's going on in the life of the church, how we as a church family live out our faith together. And we do a lot of hangouts and some fun stuff. And we do have some groups that we are really focused on and helping people grow in their faith and disciple. So the first announcement I have is if you know a youth anywhere between the ages of 12 and 18, the youth have been doing a great job the last three weeks with their youth-led Bible study through the book of Ephesians, where they're looking at what their identity in Jesus is. And so it's at Pastor Jeff's house. They host it for us. And it's on Tuesday nights at 6 o'clock, and it's done about 7.15 is when the study's done, and then they hang out to like 10. Um, but they, we play pool, they have darts, they have snacks, but the best time is when, they, when they're gathered around the Word of God, and they, the youth, are leading their own peers through the Scriptures. They're asking questions, they're laughing, they have serious moments, and it's been really fun to watch. So if you know any youth that is not part of a youth community, Tell them about it, and then you could contact them with me or contact them with one of the other youth that are here, and we would love to have them there. Um, The next announcement I have is this Wednesday coming up, our pilgrims' men are are continuing their journey into what it looks like to be a biblical man. And so this next six weeks, we're going to focus on what it means for a man to be a shepherd. Um, I talked about this last week a little bit. We're looking at it as a general idea. Yes, we'll talk about fatherhood. So if you are a father, you need to come, okay? God calls fathers to be shepherds of their home. If you're not a father, you need to come because God calls men to shepherd other men, okay? And if you're a young man, you need to come because God calls young men to shepherd young men. The idea of shepherding is every single man that follows Jesus Christ leads other men in some form, whatever sphere of influence there are. And so we're going to use a book called Family Shepherds. Now, I know that sounds like a fatherhood book. It is. I'll just tell you that. But I'm looking at, we're looking at three specific chapters to use as a trampoline because this, these three chapters can just be implemented in any way of your life, okay? It's a book that has helped me about 10 years ago really transform the way that I view myself, not only as a dad, but as a man. And so that's going to be on Wednesday nights from 7. We will be done at 8.15 on the dot because I know y'all got to go to work, kids got to go to school and stuff like that, and I got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to deliver coffee as well. So I will cut it at 8.15, okay? So guys, if you haven't signed up online, sign up now. Okay, I have like seven books left available. If you have guy friends that you would like to come and be part of a community of men that are following Jesus together, invite them as well. Okay, and even pay for their book. Negotiate with them. Look, if you come, I'll pay for your book. Okay, don't be cheap. Get your friend there because they need to know. They need to know what it means to follow Jesus. And if we got to put up our own money, man, is that not worth it? Uh, the last announcement I have it's a twofold announcement. October first is going to be a huge day for us. October 1st, I don't know if you know parents, your kids upstairs have been practicing a song for about two months now. And if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, watch it, please. It's a great movie. It'll challenge you, convict you, and encourage you all at the same time. But there's a song in there called Since I Opened Up the Door. Okay, the kids have been practicing that. So on October 1st, during the service, the last song of worship, the kids are going to come up here along with the youth up here. 
And we're going to lead the church into singing that song since I opened up the door. So parents, if you want to dress your kids in the really cute up here to take pictures, invite grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. Just invite everybody here that you know to watch your kids lead worship on this day. And then the cool part is right after the service on the same day, October 1st, we're going to be going to uh, Bogafalaya Park to do our family church family picnic that we do once a month. Okay, food will be provided. You ain't got to bring anything. If you want to bring an extra chair, just to make sure that you got a seat to sit and you don't want to sit on the hard bench, bring your lawn chair, bring whatever. I'll have games for the kids to play. We'll probably play kickball in the hundred degrees weather and sweat our food that we just ate off. Okay, but food will be provided, so it'll be cool. Just invite your family to watch the kids do it, and then invite them to meet the church family. And we. That's what we do. Once a month, we just hang out. We just want to be together and just enjoy each other's presence. Um, And so let's stand for the benediction. And if you forgot every announcement I said, we do have a digital bulletin, okay? But, man, I am excited to see that the kids are ready to sing. They're like, when are we singing? Because we've been doing it for two months. We'll, have to, we'll hand out tambourines to y'all, and we'll, we'll, go, we'll get a little Pentecostal while we do it, okay? Um, but the interesting part of the, the passage that Pastor Jeff just preached was if you look at the end, it says, after all that happened, then they went out. They went back and spread the gospel, okay? And so our commission is the commission that Jesus gave, and so let's say it together. All authority in heaven... And on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Be blessed.